All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Also like to encourage you to subscribe to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? And you can do that also by going, well, in this case, you need to go to chenpicks.com. What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I would invite you to continue sending along your questions and comments to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor, gmail.com. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, our sponsors for today's show are Dynasert, Golden Predator, Chilean Metals, Arvista Gold Corp, TriMetals Mining, RN Resources, Novo Resources, and Uranium Energy Corp. I've titled today's show, An Insider's Take on Why the Fed is Bad for America. Danielle DiMartino Booth visits for the first time. Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of RN Resources, will be a return guest. Because of time constraints on this show, I am going to start a weekly podcast with Michael Oliver at jtaylormedia.com. jtaylormedia.com. I recorded my weekly interview with Michael this morning. If you value Michael's views on the market as I do, you can go there now to hear a more extensive discussion with Michael than you often get on the Voice America show. I simply don't have the time that I would like and Michael deserves in my view. So uh, I expect to post Michael's commentary every Tuesday at J. Taylor Media uh, so you can listen to it uh, as an adjunct to this show. Given the exciting bull market for gold shares, I am also interviewing independent newsletter writers uh, as a part of a new show that I call Top Stock Picks. And uh, these are newsletter writers that appear at the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver, and that's an event that takes place three times a year. Well, those newsletter writers, in addition to myself, are Eric Coffin, Brent Cook, Gwen Preston, John Kaiser, Brian London, and Jordan Roy Byrne. And as part of the Top Stocks Picks podcast, I will also be interviewing Chen Lin from time to time. Well, last week I interviewed Eric Coffin, who has three interesting stocks that he featured. And you can listen to that at J. Taylor Media. And you can also go there to listen to an interview that I had the, uh, yesterday with Brent Cook. Um, now, you can listen to what he had to say. He had actually highlighted uh, two gold companies, two exploration companies that he thinks have a chance at uh, at outlining a major gold deposit 
uh, that could lift their share prices uh, significantly above where they are now. Again, I want to emphasize the point that Brent and the other newsletter writers that appear at the Metals Investor Forum are independent. They cover companies which, based on their research and expertise, they believe provide the possibility of extraordinary uh, share price gains, especially in a bull market like we're in now. These letter writers don't get paid to say nice things about companies like some newsletter writers do, and that is what makes, in my view, the Metals Investor Forum the best junior exploration conference that I have been a part of. Only companies that are invited to feature there, to tell their stories there, uh, they, they are only invited if the newsletter writers, the independent newsletter writers, invite them to go there. Now, you should know that the next forum will be held in Vancouver on May 5th and May 6th. Attendance is free of charge, but... I expect the number of attendees will be cut short well before this event begins simply because of space limitations. So if you have not yet signed up to attend, do not delay. Go immediately to J. Taylor Media, J. Taylor Media, that's J-A-Y Taylor Media, to provide uh, the folks at the Metals Investor Forum with your name and email address to ensure that you have a spot at the conference. And... Um, I, again, I think it's the best conference of its kind, certainly any best that I've been a part of. Well, getting back to today's show, in just a few minutes after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of RN Resources. This is a very exciting story, given not one, but several world-class exploration targets in Canada and Peru. It is one of my personal favorites and one of my largest holdings in my own uh, personal account. Then at about half past the hour, my main guest, Danielle DiMartino Booth, who was the advisor to Richard Fisher, former head of the Dallas Fed, will be with me to discuss her book, Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Fed is bad for America. Incidentally, I learned yesterday in talking to Danielle that she will be on CNBC tomorrow at 2 o'clock to talk about the Federal Open Market Committee's latest market-moving comments. So uh, you can see Danelle tomorrow on CNBC at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. But you don't have to wait until Wednesday to hear what Danelle has to say because in about a half an hour, well, about a half past this hour, she will be right here on this show to give her views uh, on the Fed and perhaps talk a bit about the politics and how that enters into the Fed's interest rate decision-making. And, of course, we want to hear her uh, what she has to say about why, in general, the Fed is bad for America. Well, it is time to go to our first commercial break, so don't go away. I will be right back with this very exciting story on RN Resources to talk uh, with the chairman of the company, the executive chairman, Ivan Bebek. He's going to map out this year's exploration program and why you best pay attention to it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Ivan Bebek. Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. 
Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon, focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the US OTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on its Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. TriMetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Ivan Bebek. He is the executive chairman and co-founder of RN Resources. Ivan and his partner, Sean Wallace, have had two very considerable success stories to their names and in their still very young careers as mine developers. The first success was with a project that is now owned by Asanko Gold, formerly Keegan Resources. That project is ramping up to produce something on the order of 450,000 ounces of gold per year, so truly a world-class uh, deposit that they were instrumental in getting uh, in, in developing up to a point where they sold it off uh, to Asanko Gold. The second success was with Caden Resources, and they developed a gold project in Mexico that was sold in 2014 to Agneagle Eagle during the bear market, uh, and they sold that for $205 million. I remember it very well because it was about the only thing that was making money for me in 2014. A really tough year, of course, for the mining sector. So now Ivan and Sean are back again, their team, along with their team, and a team that is growing in competence, I would add, in terms of uh, their technical talent and uh, almost every way you want to look look at it. They've really built quite a success story and success breeds success. Uh, Now I think they're back for what I expect will be their biggest success story yet in R&R. 
resources. That stock trades in Toronto under the symbol AUG, and you can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol ARVSF. Uh, there's 76.4 million shares outstanding and recently selling at about uh, $3.15 in Canadian money, giving it a market cap of around $240 million. And um, now Arun has not only one exploration target, but has uh, several, what I believe are world-class potential targets that they're starting to drill, and they're going to be drilling very very aggressively this year. And for that reason, I'm really happy to have Ivan with me uh, to talk about their plans for 2017. Thanks for joining me again, Ivan. Great. Thanks for having me, JM. Just one minor correction, our U.S. symbols GGTCF. Uh, for now. Oh, and, it is um, GT. Yes, that's right. GGTCF. Yeah, n- no worries. Um, we actually, and I can start off by saying this, will be uh, we've qualified to list on the New York uh, stock NYSE Amex exchange, which should take place between now and the middle of the summer. And so, um, you know, to improve access for U.S. investors, uh, we've uh, we'll be moving to the big board in the states as well Wonderful. as we're on the Toronto Stock Exchange right now, which is great. But um, look, it's. It's a spectacular, you know, timing of, of our company. It's the, the eve of, of going to start one of the world's largest drill programs, or I think the largest in terms of discovery drilling, and, you know, what that really means. And I know you touched on our previous successes uh, in Keegan as well as Caden. Both of those were discovery stories. Uh, Keegan went all the way to production, but Caden was bought in the discovery phase. And those are the curves where investors make the money is when you find gold versus having gold. That's a whole different type of investment. But we found Keegan was from zero to five million ounces of gold. And I remember the stock at one point being as low as forty nine cents to going over nine dollars per share Canadian. And that's that's what really draws Sean and I into this, you know, this whole um, business of finding gold mines. And uh, Orin is special in the way that, as, as you've commented, we've added a tremendous technical team to our, our group. We've expanded by hiring uh, most of Newmont's former global exploration geologists, and uh, I'd rank us as one of the deepest technically out there, and to be honest, that's a real pathway to discovery in an efficient manner. And then we've also added some financial corporate people as, as much as uh, my colleague, Michael Coswan, who is a, a well-known broker with Sprott, uh, one of the larger natural resource investment firms, both in the U.S. and in Canada. So we've set ourselves up for major discovery and a significant monetization of that. And um, the drill program is going to start June 5th. That's a fixed date. It's going to start in northern Canada. It'll be about 25,000 meters at our Committee Bay project, which will lead into uh, a second program at Homestake in British Columbia, which will start July 15th. And that's also a fixed date. And, um, you know, investors can expect results to start as early as August and continue through the rest of the year. Um, we had originally anticipated drilling Peru uh, as our third leg of our portfolio in this time of year, but due to some really good surface work we've done, we found that a, we found some new discoveries on the surface and the expression of gold and on the surface has expanded well to the, the boundaries of our current properties and obviously we want to own everything around the property before we go drill it or else we would make it expensive for ourselves but really taking the mentality of a major and owning an entire district before we drill those first holes. So although there's a delay, uh, it's not very long. The drills will be turning there in September. It's for the best reason possible. Peru has really become uh, a really big look for us in the exploration side. And when I say that, you have to think about some of the big mines that have been discovered there, whereas Rainier Mine called Las Bombas was sold in 2014 for 
$7 million to MMG by Glencore. Or you look at Yanacocha, that's a 60 million ounce discovery, epithermal, the largest epithermal discovery on the planet, you know, from what that we're aware of. And, um, you know, it's, it's elephant country down there. Peru went from being a concept to a reality. But while we wait to go drill some exciting new discoveries in Peru, we get to start up north. And, you know, I just got a chance to download with our geologists who are in the final stages of, of targeting. And uh, they are completely, uh, completely in hammered by the, the way these targets have come together. There's a lot of confidence on uh, some of these major corridors we're finding, and you know they're in proximity to an existing resource that's up there. There's tremendous targets, and the scale is what really, really blows our mind in terms of how big they are. Like you look at a 40-kilometer long corridor with high-grade gold all along that corridor of mineralization. I mean, you start talking multi, multi-million ounces when you look at that kind of size and structure, and there's multiple corridors like that across this. 300 kilometer long belt so it's really a spectacular place in terms of high grade in terms of opportunity for discovery and you know the first two years that we've kind of explored up there it was a lot of proof of concept you know what are the main vectors to find the gold and I think at the end of last year's program we really got a handle on that so this year will be the most exciting year I think we'll drill at least 12 major targets on the belt and um, each target one of those 12 targets could be you know as big as Keegan was for us in itself mm-hmm. you know, in terms of impact like that kind of five million ounce discovery and it wouldn't happen all this summer like you wouldn't draw all those resources but you'd get a very good handle that the discovery is going in that direction yeah i mean just looking at uh at a map on your website um showing the distance and the ma- and the scale of this 300 kilometers is the distance from new york to boston and that's of course it's just an amazing target obviously 17 yeah. large-scale targets you're saying and what percentage of, of that fifty-five thousand meters would be drilled there so i'd say um this year we're going to spend at least uh 37 million dollars in the field and i'll point out that 90 percent of our actual capital goes into the ground and 10 percent goes towards uh administration the big team and as well as the marketing that we do which is a phenomenal ratio but uh going back towards the spend for community bay I believe we're spending around twenty twenty one million dollars this year. We'll go up to Community Bay, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a good sized program. Uh, certainly, is uh, is about half our budget, mm-hmm. and then the, the balance will be split between uh, BC will be the next biggest one, which will be around uh, twelve to fifteen million dollars, and then the rest will be down in uh, in Peru. And you know, one thing you have to understand, uh, Jay, is this fifty five thousand meter discovery program. It starts June fifth, but the question no one's asked me, and they should is when does it stop and the answer is it doesn't stop it keeps going and uh, the only thing that would slow us down would be um, uh, if we hit a 2008 correction in the market mm-hmm. we would scale back our spending to watch our, our share structure and not dilute ourselves but um, to be honest it, it kind of it's going to start here in Canada it'll continue with Peru in September through the end of the year and again in January and then if we get in or, or I should say when with confidence but fairness if we get into a good size discovery in Committee Bay, we can start drilling as early as February of next year okay. with core rigs underneath the discovery. And what we're drilling this summer
corner, it's important for everyone to know this. We're doing the top 200 meters, and uh, if you look at our three bus deposit, you can kind of see the top 200 meters and all the grades that have been listed, anywhere from 39 meters of 12 grams or 14 meters of 7 grams, 10 meters of 6 grams. If people start to see those kind of results come out of any of the things that we drill, they can, they can with a lot of speculation, believe that we're on to another big deposit being discovered. And then uh, what we would do in February is we'd come in with a core rig and probably drill down to 400 or 500 meters to see how deep the legs would go and, and give people a proper assessment of how big that discovery could be. And uh, if you guys follow um, Agnico Eagle's Amaruk discovery where they've done a tremendous job in about three years, they went from zero on a new discovery to pushing six or seven million ounces at seven grams per ton as an average grade. That's in three years delineation drilling a resource that's going to be mined, you know, in the next few years. That's a remarkable pace of discovery that they've done there. And, you know, we're taking that shot on a, at least 12. We'll try and get to 17 targets this summer. And, um, you know, I don't think they're all going to hit. But I think if you hit, you know, a couple that start to go in that direction, the, the, the monetization would be significant for shareholders. Oh, no question. Uh, no doubt about it. I, uh, I would think that probably the most advanced project that you have so far is the Homestake project in, in uh, British Columbia's Golden Triangle. Is that right? Yeah, so, so Homestake is. It certainly is. And um, the portfolio is balanced. I'd say the most advanced. I agree with you. It's Homestake. It's a million ounces of nine grams a gold and silver equivalent with about 80% of that being pure gold. Um, Homestake is a, a project where they had a really big discovery hole, 73 meters of 21 grams per ton gold, which is mm. one of the planet's biggest holes been drilled on the gold side, probably top 20 for sure. And uh, the people before us did a great job, but they were myopic to that one area. They didn't really explore the rest of the property the way that we're looking at it in more of a holistic sense. Mm -hmm. And there's countless numbers of, of rock samples off ridges with three to five and plus gram per ton gold that have no drill holes around it. And we're looking at these things and this deep technical team that we have is looking at it as, as more of a, you know, a 10,000 foot view instead of a 50 foot view. And they're seeing some real potential here that we could grow that million ounces of nine grams. And um, we're going to go for the a double at the very least, but possibly a triple or, or further with how much ounces we think could be there by the look of it. And, you know, if you can take an advanced project like that, that would be buildable in the next few years. And if you can triple it in size, that in itself, that would that would outperform the Keegan success that we had in that one that uh, got to $9 a share or about $800 million market cap. You know, so it stands alone, too, as a, as a very exciting exploration project, but it does have the meat on it right now. Um, we did run our own internal engineering numbers, which I can't really quote, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that if, if you were to, to look at the project from an engineering perspective with our really good met metallurgical numbers that we've got, it's, uh, it stands to make us cheap for our current valuation where we it today with our current company at around $220 million market cap. Just that one project, and uh, just that one project. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, I guess we should let our, our listeners know for sure that you're not my you're not a mining company. You're an exploration company. And as you point out, it's during that discovery phase where the really big dollars are made. Then you run in once you make a discovery. You go into a period of time where you have to do engineering and uh, environmental studies and all that sort of thing. And and the share prices usually don't go anywhere for several years. The 
then maybe once they're in production, they start to rise again. Your game is really the exploration, and that's what you've been so successful at. So I would imagine with so many different projects that you have, you would probably be, you know, if there was somebody coming along and saying, some major coming along and saying, wow, we've got to have that home stake, um, you know, you would you would have your ears open to uh, some bids probably. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great topic, and we're at a very interesting time of the markets. Um, two, two very important facts. I read an article the other day talking about $21 billion going into exploration over the next, you know, 10, 12 years from mm-hmm. as we sit today. And um, that's that kind of posturing by the marketplace is saying they need more discoveries. And if you talk to any of the majors, you know, in the bear market, the pipelines have disappeared or been divested of, and a lot of the majors and mid-shares don't have the growth because no one's been doing exploration in the last six years. It's been very modest, right? So it certainly is something that will get a lot more attention if you make a discovery this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a second point to make there, um, Gold Corp is a shareholder of our company. They bought 12.5% at about a 20% premium to today's price, as we said. Mm-hmm. They invested about $37 million, which with Canadian tax flows benefits gave the company about $41 million at a $4.30 Canadian dilution price, which is significant. And that's a big premium. And that's a big investment by one of the biggest gold companies in the world. Um, That's a great testament, third party to the quality of what we have in our portfolio and the quality of the technical work that we're doing. Um, I do get very excited about our projects. I'm a very avid buyer because of I spend, I think I spend the most time with our, our geologists, and uh, the more time I spend with them, the more I, I fall in love with how big these targets are. But getting a secondary validation like that really takes the biased opinion out of it. And then if you look at us holistically and you kind of look what we did with Keegan and Caden, um, imagine having or drilling 25 different Keegans in one company or 25 <laughs> different Cadens. Now, that's really what it is, Jay, and, and, and I'm giving each Peruvian project is one one opportunity. There's four there, but if you take the community bay shots we're taking, as well as homestake and Peru, and you add it all up, these are, this is unreal what we've really pulled together. And so for me, I love the reward as much as the risk. And the one way that, you know, Sean, my partner, and myself have really rationalized taking this risk in the most intelligent way and timing in the market was to have more than one high-quality target. So if we drill in Community Bay and we don't hit, it's not over for shareholders. They don't get cut in half. They get homestakes and they get Peru and it keeps going. Um, The other question that's not being asked is what happens if you hit on everything? All of them start hitting. You know, you touched on it lightly. One mid-chair may want to buy this or another major may want to buy that. I can tell you that we've spoken to everyone, you know, in this space every major pretty much out there, some that came by surprise, some we expected, and uh, we're certainly on the radar of everyone, which is exciting because it means there is a very good chance that people could enjoy the exit that we saw in Cade in our last company, which would be a sale. And uh, to the last point I'll make is, you know, in terms of engineering and building a mine, yeah, it's, it costs money. It doesn't make money in that phase. Sure. It makes money once it's producing. And, um, you know, we believe finding the ounces, finding the mine, finding a gold mine, you know, this is the most generalist investor. Finding a gold mine is where you make all the money, more than more so than having it as an investor because that is the steepest curve, that is the best return in the shortest period of time on your investment. It can be done in one drill season, it can be done in two drill seasons or in multiple ones if it's a really big asset. I think we have multi generations of discoveries to be made off of these projects. And so I think that appeal will result in a really good premium to whatever we find. 
I have no doubt about it. Uh, certainly you have the track record uh, to allow you to say something like that. Um, are you adequately financed for this 55,000 meter drill program? Yeah, we have um, We have about 40 million. We have 4 million of um, that will come into the year between now and September for mm-hmm. some warrants uh, in some good shareholders' hands. And, um, you know, we're going to want to spend more than that this year. We're going to want to drill a lot more in Peru. Um, but we're, we don't need to raise money until Q4 of this year. Mm-hmm. And um, I think on the back of some pretty big discoveries, we will consider another round of funding. But that would be, again, we look forward to doing that at a, at a much higher price in terms of a lot of confidence in what we're going to start drilling on June 5th onward through the year, right? And um, another factor, um, stocks tend to perform like ours while you go drilling because people generally will speculate and invest half their position before you drill. And then if you hit the leverage in and buy the other half of the position, I think that speculation for us will start in May, right before the drill program starts. Um, last April through July, our share price went from $1.50 Canadian to $4 Canadian in that same kind of span of time. And it's because we were going into a good-sized drill program. This year, we're doing five and a half times the size of that drill program, and there's really no end of that program once it starts, unless we hit that something in the market we don't expect and we want to conserve cash, right? right. But um, no, it's it's well-balanced. Um, you know, we are investors ourselves. If we ever do get into a crunch financially, we would write our own checks to pre- prevent, you know, any unnecessary dilution. But uh, for the time being, um, no, we're, we're well-funded. We get money offered to us a lot, um, and we're just, we're just now, we're, we're going to look forward to drilling and seeing what we come up with. Oh, that's terrific. I'm really excited about it as a shareholder. I, I can't wait to see what unfolds, and I know that you're even more anxious by far than I am. But just in summary then, uh, Ivan, so people keep their eyes on the news, what should they be looking for? What drivers then are do you expect will be coming to drive this sh- these shares higher? So between now and the drilling starting on June 5th, um, readers will see uh, some acquisitions in Peru, stuff that we were working on as promised. Oh, yeah. um, they will see more surface work being happening in Peru that will give us a lot more information before the drills turn in September. They're going to see a fairly elaborate press release on the Committee Bay targeting of all the targets we're going to drill and we're going to quantify some of the magnitude of these targets for investors to to realize the, the potential before the drill starts turning. And then they're going to see another press release on the Homestake project come out before the Homestake drilling comes out. And what we're going to try and do for our investors, which we think will be very creative, is educate them as we get our final revisions of our drill targets. We're going to educate the investors with the enthusiasm and try to give them as much of a a quantified uh, clarity on on how risky or how big the shot is that we're taking. We know from a high level that there are very big shots and these are very good quality projects, but you know, as these guys are pulling off layers and they've been doing so since last summer on these projects, the the number, the the scope of these targets is really phenomenal and you know, we'll have a few press releases out, kind of getting everybody ready for the program, and uh, you know, a month and a half we're drilling, so it's right around the corner, so we're very excited for that. Thank you very much, uh, Ivan, for being with us again. An exciting story. We'll look to talk to you again and maybe get an update as your drill program proceeds uh, into the year. Thanks so much for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to go to break now, but when we come back, Danielle DiMartino Booth, a former Federal Reserve economist who's now a critic of the Fed, will be here to talk about her new book called Fed Up. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Danelle DiMartino Booth. No 
Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Our Vista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Our Vista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com. Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have with me for the first time, Danielle DiMartino Booth. Danielle is the founder of Money Strong, LLC. It's an economic consulting firm. She began her career in New York at Donaldson Lufkin Generet and Credit Suisse, where she worked in fixed income and the public and private equity markets. After working as a financial columnist at the Dallas Morning News, Danielle spent nine years as an advisor to Richard Fisher at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. And she is also the author of a newly written book uh, titled Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. In her book, she criticizes the Fed for focusing too much on theoretical economic and academic models and not enough on the way markets work in the real world. 
Now, since this uh, show is itself highly critical of the Fed, having had in the past guests like Ron Paul, David Stockman, Jim Rickards, to name a few, I'm really pleased to welcome Danielle uh, for yet another critical perspective on the Federal Reserve Bank, which is, for sure, an extremely powerful institution, but an unelected institution. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me at Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm happy to be here this afternoon. How are you? I'm really good. I, um, I'm, I'm really good here in New York City, and I imagine you're on a book tour now and, and traveling around on a very rigorous schedule. Um, are you, what part of the country are you in today? Uh, well, actually, I will be in New York uh, today. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. And uh, at a Barnes & Noble or someplace like that, perhaps? Uh, no, uh, coming in to do media around the release of the meeting minutes for the last FOMC meeting. Oh, great. We'll see you on Bloomberg or, or CNBC uh, or someplace CNBC. like that. Oh, great. Well, uh-huh. look forward to that. Great. Wonderful. Well, before we get started um, on some of the ideas in your book, I found it really interesting, uh, some of the color that you provided with regard to the culture of the Federal Reserve. For example, on page 82, regarding Richard Fisher, with whom you worked, uh, you said, and I quote, Fisher's comments often provided a better look at where the economy was going than other speakers, at least in hindsight. But his charm and lack of a PhD meant that many on the FOMC and board staff did not take him seriously, end of quote. So would you say that there is a culture of hubris at the Fed, you know, a tiny club of Ivy League PhDs who believe they know the truth about how markets work? or at least about markets, and anyone outside of that club is clueless? Well, I wouldn't say that there, well, the hubris part is a given, but I certainly wouldn't say that, that there were, that they, they claim any great knowledge of the way markets operate. They certainly uh, purport to understand how the economy works, but the, 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 the area, if you will, uh, where the knowledge is lacking is at the intersection of mm-hmm. the financial markets and economic data. And that is where people like Richard Fisher and myself were able to shine. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you, it's certainly the Federal Reserve was designed to be a lender of last resorts. And, you know, we've had guests on this show like Ron Paul who uh, would like to end the Fed completely. Others like David Stockman concede that uh, the Fed acting as lender of last resort may have its place but it should not be creating endless amounts of money out of thin air and in the process denying price discovery of capital. In the first chapter of your book, you, you wrote, um, or you said that, that I wrote this book to tell from the inside the story of how the Fed went from being a lender of last resort to savior and then destroyer of America's economic system, end of quote. From what I have read in the book, it seems to me that you might be more in David Stockman's camp. That is, you believe there is a place for the Fed, but that it shouldn't be so aggressive in trying to stimulate the economy. Do I have that right? Yes. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I have a hard time putting myself in the same camp as, as anybody in particular. I, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think that the world as we know it is going to end. I think that there are a ton of risks out there, uh, but I'm also of the opinion that ending the Fed is not the right way to go if, if you reinvent it in a rational way such that it is populated with leaders who have no agenda. And it really mm. does come down to that simple of a statement. No agenda. Well, let, let me ask you, what do you think the agenda of these PhD folks from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale is? What is their agenda? 
Well, it, it, if you look at what motivates people, look at a Wall Street banker. What motivates mm-hmm. a Wall Street banker? Greed. Money. Yeah. Money. Yeah, sure. Plain and simple. If you look at what motivates academic economists from the time that they're earning their PhDs, the, the Shangri-La for them, the ultimate carrot, is when they get published in a prestigious journal. Mm-hmm. And that is where they find validation within their peer group. And the one thing that I found to be so disturbing, if you will, is that that same, that same goal was really driving most of the people inside the Fed. And there were, there were others, if you will, who were beating the table for a lot of the people on the inside to do more real-time work that helped policymakers understand you know, kind of how the economy was really working as mm-hmm. opposed to furthering a school of thought or exemplifying to the world just how brilliant you were. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I don't deny it. These people are really, really smart. Mm-hmm. But as William McChesney Martin said, of academics, you always want to have these people on tap you never mm-hmm. want to have them on top. <laughs> well, it's, it certainly is. Um, so it's, it's pride and ego, I guess, to a great extent, then, isn't it? it? It would seem to be the case. It's pride, it's ego, and it's habit. Uh-huh. It's yeah. the way that they're used to doing things. Yeah. And look, even Keynes famously wrote about the paradox of thrift. And I, I wrote about this last week for, for Bloomberg. Yes. And he warned that if you leave interest rates at too low of a level, you're going to end up catalyzing aggregate savings across an economy, which will cause people to pull back on their spending and put a governor on economic growth. He actually warned about low interest rates, which I I find to be, there's a certain irony with a lot (laughs) of the people in the media using Keynes as kind of the poster boy of the quantitative easing negative interest rate era because I think the the behavior of central bankers today have 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 Keynes spinning in his grave. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and it makes all the sense in the world, Danielle, because um when you think about the amount of money that savers are foregoing, they're not able to uh to spend uh, they don't have that income from savings. I, I think, you know, as a, as a senior citizen myself, how much and how badly I am being hurt. I can remember the time when I was a young man, had to pay 17.5% for my first mortgage. Wow, would I like to have, now that I have the savings that I have, would I ever love to have anything close to that in terms of, uh, in, in terms of yields on my savings, and that would, you know, with something that's fairly safe, like treasuries, instead of going out and having to speculate in the stock market to get uh, to, to generate cash flow. Uh, is is that the idea that there's that that income isn't available? So people then are saying, "Oh, I'm going to have to really save, so I'm sure I have enough money to pay for the uh, the mortgage or the or the rent or my food or the healthcare or things I have to have to survive." Is that is that what's going on with this paradox of thrift argument? I think that that's fair, uh, but I call it taking grandma to Vegas. I'm sorry, but but our seniors should not be forced into the junk bond market. This is ridiculous. Yeah, and it's you know the funny thing is that the the Ben Bernanke's of the world have actually said said in their own words, you know, we are looking to ignite animal spirits. Well, that's appropriate if you're at the beginning of your career. 
Yeah. But it's certainly not appropriate in, in an era of you know that began with Greenspan beginning to monkey with price discovery, which has has really skewed valuations and even made the ability to build a, a reasonable portfolio difficult to do because you've killed the efficient frontier. You've killed the ability mm-hmm. to diversify a portfolio as a factor of time because you've killed price discovery. As I'm, and I'm, I'm saying the ones with, you know, the killers here are the central bankers. Yeah. Well, certainly the efficient frontier, the idea is that you have different asset classes moving in different directions, right? And you want to be on that frontier so you get the optimum return for any given level of risk, risk being defined as variance of return. And if it seems to me, Danielle, what's happening is almost everything is moving together these days. Is that a fair statement? Well, and you know what? It has been a fair statement for a while. I was, I was relaying a story uh, that I, uh, I was relaying a conversation recently that I had had with Charlie Munger. This is years mm-hmm. ago. You might agree that Charlie Munger of the two, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, Charlie Munger is the apolitical one, no governor yes. in the mouth, says what comes right. to mind without thinking twice. <laughs> and a conversation we had was maybe not in my lifetime, Danielle, but in yours, you'll see the efficient frontier go the way of the dodo bird because in overly intrusive central bankers have killed the ability to diversify our portfolio such that your correlations tend to line up as a factor of time and all of a sudden those commodities that we're going that, that we're going to shepherd your portfolio and and allow you to hedge during disruptive market times they don't work anymore the bonds that you bought to to act as a flight to safety in the event that your equity portfolio blew up they don't provide you safe cover anymore either it really is a, 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 it, it's a disastrous outcome that we should have learned from in 2009 and 2010 and the fact that bankers the central bankers of the world didn't learn from it caused me to get really fed up and write a book about it. Yeah. Who who did you write the book for, Danielle? Who did you want to read this? I mean, I I find it fascinating, but I'm in these markets. It's uh, it's what I do. Um, are, are you getting any policymakers reading it? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> I don't have a PhD, so I don't I don't even qualify for them to open it up and read the dedication. <laughs> That's sad. Um well, so, but I, but this, I didn't write it for them. Trust me when I yeah. say I did not write it for them because they're not going to change the way they do things. I wrote it for the everyday man. It was written once so that the policy and the meat on the bones could be in there, and then it was translated into the Queen's English so that it's an accessible book for everybody who thinks yes. that you know, the, the, the Federal Reserve is some secretive order of bankers out to destroy the world. It really isn't. It's just it, a bunch of academics. Right, right. Of course, they would like to keep it, uh, keep people thinking that that it's uh, not accessible. It's a very readable book, I might add. It's it's very easy to read. Uh, this can't go on though forever, can it, Danielle? I mean, we can't have it. I mean, this equity market. Whenever, as David Stockman has said repeatedly, whenever the equity markets start to tank and throw a hissy fit, the Fed backs away from any talk of raising rates. And now they seem to be talking about raising rates a lot. I'm wondering if market forces might not be forcing the Fed's hand, or, or what are your thoughts on this? And, and it seems to me that what they're trying to do is convince people they have everything under control, so they talk like they're going to raise rates. The economy's strong to justify r- raising rates, and then what happens is you have a shock in the equity market or some bad economic news, and they sort of back away from it, and then the equity market takes off and has another bullish run. 
how long can this go on and, and what might cause it to break down, if anything? Well, look, I'm, I don't want to feed any kind of political meme here, but I, I am concerned that all throughout the years of the prior administration, if the equity market said boo, the Fed would come running to the rescue. I mean, you, you didn't even really need a 5 or 6% downside in, in equities, to say nothing of a true 10% correction, mm-hmm. uh, in order to really get the Fed off the mark and, and into DEFCON 1 mode and putting more liquidity out there. So I find it to be very curious that now they're not only talking about tightening by way of raising interest rates in the traditional manner, but they're also talking about shrinking the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And they know darn well that this economic uh, cycle is, is long in the tooth to be kind. Sure. Um, it really is old, if, if you want to put a better word on it. So I find it to be very curious, unless the Fed is being political, Mm-hmm. That they would be talking not just about raising interest rates, but about beginning to shrink their balance sheet as well. It's, it really, they, they really are alluding to much tighter financial conditions going forward, which would suggest we're going to have a lot of downside in stocks. Yeah, and so where do we run? Where do we go? Oh, gosh. I mean, my, my 70-year-old retired mother, I've got her in a, in a Vanguard Ginny May fund. And so that way we both sleep at night and she barely keeps pace with inflation. And that's the false inflation that, that's, that's announced by the Fed. You know, that's the quote-unquote core PCE that came in at 1.75% recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are going to be very few places that I can be comfortable putting my mother's money at this juncture that, that I don't feel like she'd take a big hit to her principal. Uh, you mentioned uh, commodities aren't working any longer. Um, Charlie Munger talked about how they wouldn't work and how, and, and in fact, it seems to have been the case. Uh, we're having what I guess is, you know, really negative interest rates or very, very low real interest rates, which has traditionally been very positive for gold. Uh, any thoughts on gold as a, as a possible safety net, a place where you might store some wealth? Well, I consider gold to be not necessarily a potential viable alternative uh, to currencies, and that'll probably get me a fair share of hate mail. Uh, <laughs> but what I do consider gold to be is your ultimate safe haven investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think so- that the central bankers of the world are going to do their, their dire best to launch QE4 or Lord knows what else, Mario Draghi's buying corporate bonds, the Bank of Japan is buying stock ETFs. If you think that the same situation is going to come to pass here in the United States, and obviously the price of gold right now is reflecting that the the Fed is going in the opposite direction, that they're headed towards a tightening path, then Mm -hmm. gold is your ultimate safe haven. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, I'm reading some things, uh, whether they're true or not, I'm I'm not happy. Not absolutely sure, but uh, that China, maybe Saudi Arabia, and some of these countries have been pulling back from treasuries, have been even uh, reducing their holdings of U.S. treasuries. Could that be one of the reasons that the Fed is raising rates? Maybe they have to raise rates, or the balance sheet is going their balance sheet is going to have to continue to expand in order to fund uh, U.S. deficits, which aren't going to fall anytime in the near future. The way it looks. Well, for the moment, at least, for the moment, foreign buyers are are still present enough, if you will, but you are absolutely correct. 
especially at the long end, they've begun to pull back. And in fact, in 2016, we're net sellers of mm-hmm. our treasuries. Mm-hmm. And I sure do hope that somebody in Washington is paying attention to that. So there are, there's a chance. I wish I could tell you that it's a 100% probability, but there's a chance somebody's paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the same token... Pension funds are in such a bad way, oh. and you know the, the the minute the minute there's any kind of a yield attached to any kind of a, a decent maturity bond, I think you're going to have pension funds coming and riding in and buying everything that they could possibly get their hands on. Mm-hmm. Okay, and keep the rates from rising too much as a result of that. Well, again, I, I think that any massive ramp up in interest rates is going to be more the result of. A, a, a different type of a war. Uh, what, what was that? A different type of a war? Could you explain? As opposed to a currency war. I see. Okay. All right. If, um, if you look at if you look at, at FDR, I mean, he was in office for eight years, mm-hmm. really, before actual war came and tremendous amounts of economic growth that would go hand in hand with rising interest rates because economic activity was spurring it. I chuckle. The reason I leave the financial news on, on, on hold is, it, is the, the whole idea, the notion that, boy, we're raising interest rates because the economy is just screaming. Yeah. And it's going to grow so fast that this is a, this is a happy, good reflection. I, I, just, I chuckle, and I'm like, why did I have the volume on? Right. Oh, that's uh, ex- exactly right. Why? Why I turn it off to uh, very often. Uh, with just a couple of minutes left, Danielle, um, you talk about the Taylor Rule in your book. Can you explain the Taylor Rule? And and is that something you think the Fed should follow? I think that going from, I think you go from the fire to the frying pan. If you say we're going to go from targeting two percent inflation, which has backed the Fed into one corner to targeting the Taylor rule. Now, that being said, I think that there needs to be a lot more in the way of discipline when it comes to monetary policymaking and that something like the Taylor rule should long ago have been and held a greater part of the discussion, I think, that had that been the case, that in 2011 and in 2012, rather than worrying about Oh gosh, should we be doing 85 billion a month or 75 billion a month? Or I think that we would have been. I think we. Sorry, I still have pronoun challenges, and I've, <laughs> I've been gone for almost two years. I think Fed officials back then should have been uh, looking at raising interest rates and had the Taylor Rule been more appreciated around the table at the FOMC. I think that there would have been more people voting to raise interest rates years ago, mm-hmm. and that would put us in a better place today. By the way. Oh, I guess it would. Uh, we have this, it seems to be exponential growth in debt, and yet even using the, the Fed's or the, the government's, I, I would think, um, generous accounting of GDP, uh, that it's, you know, it just seems logical to, any, to anyone that sooner or later the system has to break down. You mentioned pension funds. I can't imagine. I know some of them are starting to have challenges now. I think the Teamsters here in New York, I read recently, having trouble and have had to cut their members back dramatically. Uh, I can't imagine the political repercussions that are going to happen or are going to take place and, and the strife that's going to happen, um, you know, if, if, as, as people get older and their pension funds are just gone. I mean, it's just, it's just hard, to, hard to think about. It's, it's hard to know what's going to happen, isn't it? 
It really is, and it's a sad state because if you think about it, the uh, the teacher who toiled her life, uh, and 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 maybe maybe the pension rules were such that she shouldn't have been able to pile on the last. 48 hours of her pay and, and, and yeah. overtime and the whole thing. And, and that's part of the problem, I think, and that's part of the groundswell of anger that we're continuing to hear because they grab good headlines. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, that teacher earned her pension. Yeah. And now what? Yeah. By the same token, the person whose income taxes in the state of Illinois are going up or property taxes are going up because they're going to have to top off that teacher's pension, they're in their rights as well saying, I'm moving to Texas. Why would I yeah. want to sit around and pay up when I'm, you're talking about me not being able to get as much as I should out of my 401k or IRA because my property taxes are going up late in life when I'm trying to live on my fixed income. It is mm-hmm. a dilemma. I think it's going to be politicians' biggest challenge over the next 20 years. Yeah, and with the demographics running against uh, against them as well, against the budget deficit, is uh, it certainly will be uh, fascinating, but I think very uh, very frightening as well. One more thing, Danielle, before we let you go, uh, on the campaign trail, Donald Trump was pretty critical of the Fed. Do you hold out any hope that anything positive might come out of this administration? For, uh, with I'm losing to the Fed? hope more quickly than I would hope. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm to hear that. For a circuitous statement, circuitous statement. Yeah. Yeah. I worry that he hasn't said more. I mean, this is a man who is erratic and tends to tweet in the middle of the night. So yes, I, I worry that we haven't heard a little bit more definitive direction, if you will, on where he is hoping the Fed will go. And, you know, if he's not capable of passing legislation, then he certainly won't be able to stomach higher interest rates. So it, it worries me that the one person who has the potential to ride into town and totally shake up the way things are done at the Fed – I worry that he's been so silent. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to. We'll have to leave it go at that. Uh, un- unfortunate note. I, I'm afraid I w- would agree with you and, and and share your fears. I want to thank you very much, Danielle, for being with us today. And I want to encourage people to buy the book. It's f- called Fed Up: An Insider's Take on Why the Federal Reserve is Bad for America. Thank you so much for being with us today, Danielle. Well, folks, that is all the time for this week's uh, for this week's show. Um, next week, Daryl McMullen of Gold Money will be with us to talk about uh, that company, how, how uh, Gold Money is doing and what they're doing to help you uh, actually use gold as money and use it uh, for, for your purchases. And uh, so we'll look forward to talking to Daryl next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. 
Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the US OTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. Arvista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Arvista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com. TriMetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com.